Gina Della from Pella. And let me tell you, 555 is back. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Now we got to watch Hurricane Larry. Oh, gosh. I said this before, I don't know why people live in the hurricane paths, and I realize that that is a large path, because you're talking about the entire Gulf Coast and up the Atlantic Coast, but we know Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, New uh, uh, Louisiana, portions of Texas, every year at about this time, I just, I, I don't get it. I don't know how how people do it. How is it that you lost everything in Katrina 15, 16 years ago, you've rebuilt, and there's a chance you lost everything all again because of Ida? And you just you, you rebuild again and again, and oh, but our family's from there. I, I, I suppose I just, mm. if, if I lost everything, everything in a hurricane, and I realize I'm living in an area where every late summer, early fall, this August, September time frame when it's hurricane season, every year at this time, there's a possibility I could lose it all again. I would say no thanks. I will move north. Because there really is no other weather phenomenon like a hurricane that could truly wipe out everything you own and everything you have on an annual basis. You get tornadoes. I realize there are tornado alleys in the Midwest and in, in the Plains states and things like that. But, nah, no. Nah. I mean, there's other than a hurricane, I don't know what else does it. So now we will watch Larry. Where else could the Packers and the uh, Saints play? I don't know. Hopefully that does not get disrupted. Uh, speaking of weather, as Mike just got done saying, we are monitoring this strong line of thunderstorms that is working its way uh, into southeastern Wisconsin. All kinds of crazy pictures. Some people have been texting in photos of hail, golf ball size hail, baseball size hail up in the Appleton area. So a strong line of storms passing through right now. Most of you who are listening to me, you are experiencing it, or you have experienced it, or you will uh, in the next few minutes. It is kind of moving quickly, though, so that is some good news. Um, The uh, severe thunderstorm watch for Washington, Sheboygan, Fond du Lac, Dodge, and Jefferson was just canceled, for example. So... But Milwaukee, Waukesha, um, till uh, 12.45. So, batting down the hatches, here that comes. I was at Summerfest over the weekend, and I know Steve and Carol talked a little bit about this. I, 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 was, I was disappointed by what I saw in terms of crowd size. and I, I'm trying to think of everybody with whom I have spoken that went to Summerfest, whether here at the station or just other people outside Radio City, nobody has said how impressed they were. And 
I'm not looking to just rag on Summerfest. What else were they going to do at this point? I mean, th- this is a situation where you're trying to recoup some degree of losses after not having a festival last year. All you're trying to do is put the best show shows forth in a three-week span in September. It'll never be in September again. Remember uh, uh, on this show when Don Smiley joined Jeff, uh, as is tradition, last Thursday... He said next year we're moving back to that June, July, end of June, early July period. But correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, they're going to do the three-weekend format because, as I understand it, next year, uh, Don Smiley said it's a two-year trial, even though it's moving back to the traditional summer <laughs> summertime uh, schedule. So you can take what you can out of this, but next year it'll be the three weekends again. Do I have that right? I think I misspoke over the weekend on one of my other shows. I believe that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're going to try the, the, the three-weekend thing. You said you're going to go next week. you got a Thursday. you got one opportunity, one day next week, right? Yeah, i got two tickets, general admission, but I the only day that I literally sure. can go is next Thursday. So make of it what I can. Yeah. If nothing else, look at it this way. You don't have to deal with lines. You don't have to deal with big crowds. Um and I realize there are some people, well, you're going to complain. You're going to complain when it's too crowded because then you're elbow to elbow and you're waiting in long beer lines and it's not fun to be sweaty elbow to sweaty elbow standing on top of bleachers with your... Okay, well, at least now you got some elbow room and things like that. The, you know, the other thing at play, and look, there, there are all kinds of factors right now. Headwinds that are are, are, are blowing against Summerfest. Um Friday night football, high school football, obviously. You got college football on Saturdays. Some people are just very preoccupied with that. They'd rather camp out in front of the television on Saturday and watch college football. Friday night high school football scene, people uh, are there doing that. And the weather's a little cooler, although I don't mind it, quite frankly. I'd rather have this than hot, humid, sticky stuff. Um, you know, and, and then the um, the inability to go if you're of a school age because you have school now thursdays are a school night well, friday and saturday maybe but teachers a lot of teachers work summer fest they can't work summer fest this year because they're back to their regular jobs here's the other factor at play here's the other factor at play um people's minds just aren't in summer fest mode like i remember we talked about this a lot last year when we were kind of de- describing why maybe some of the sports ratings were down and it was because you had basketball season happening in the fall. You had a, a baseball season that was interrupted. It, it, people have mental calendars, and they associate certain events with a certain time of year. And when that event, in this case Summerfest, is not happening in late June, early July for those 11 days, and it's happening in September, you're just... you're. You're mentally in a different place. Your mental calendar cannot compute the fact that, oh, we could go to Summerfest. It's just one of those things. We're, we are creatures of habit when it, uh, you know, deals with our recreational choices, shall we say. And so for some people to go Summerfest in September, I just, oh yeah, yeah, we could do that. I forgot about that. There's all kinds of things at play. But in the end, remember, Summerfest is just trying to do what they can. Just trying to do what they can. 
and enjoy the lack of big crowds, at least for some of it. Okay. Uh, Jeff is out all week long, so I will be with you. Speaking of Summerfest, we will be out there uh, on Thursday and Friday of this week. Uh, coming up on the show, uh, we will spend a little time, but I'd like to do every day this week is, is talk 9-11. Because, of course, Saturday, this coming Saturday is the 20th, 20th anniversary, 20 years since the attacks on September 11th. And I'd like to devote a portion of every show this week to a particular angle, something we can discuss as it pertains to that uh, infamous day and uh, the anniversary 20 years removed. But when we come back, we'll get to that in a little while. When we come back, I've had a question rattling around in my mind, and I know Jeff has discussed the, uh, well, the, the Republican-led legislature against Tommy Thompson leading the UW system right now when it comes to the power that uh, Thompson has in implementing different rules and regulations, COVID-related, for the, uh, the school year, which is now underway. And the Republicans are split, right? The Republican legislature... And the assembly is uh, split. You get different voices uh, from the right coming out, some in uh, support of Thompson, some saying, no, if we got to do this from a a legal perspective, we got to go to court, we got to go to court, we got to stand on principle. There's a larger question I have about this battle, okay? And I thought now is as good a time as any to ask it. So I will in just a moment. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. By the way, we are following, just trying to get more details on uh, the breaking news this afternoon, that Milwaukee Alderwoman Shantia Lewis, who is also, by the way, a U.S. Senate candidate, she announced a couple weeks ago, is now facing five criminal charges for embezzlement and misusing campaign finances totaling over $21,000. Uh, those are uh, those are felony charges, too. So this thing has uh, just escalated a little bit for one of the many U.S. Senate candidates and a sitting common council person. Shantia Lewis has put out this statement. It's a pretty bold statement, too. Um... This was said following the statement after she received notice that the DA has filed criminal charges for campaign compliance issues. As a public servant, faith leader, and 9-11 veteran who has served my country with pride, I have served and will continue to serve in elected office with transparency, integrity, and honor. After four years as an elected official, we were recently advised for the first time by the DA's office about some potential campaign reporting errors. Upon notification of these accounting errors, we have worked with and cooperated fully with the DA's investigation. We will make the necessary corrections. But make no mistake, and then this next line, uh, this next phrase is underlined. But make no mistake, I am innocent of any criminal wrongdoing. That's about as, uh, let's say, as bold. That's about as clear a statement as you can make in terms of announcing how you feel and what's your reaction. I am innocent of any criminal wrongdoing. A lot of vague speech there. As a first-time candidate in 2016, and like my first-time grassroots candidates, I self-funded much of my campaign. My campaign was run by my family and a team of amazing supporters. We did our very best to run a positive and compliant campaign. I am confident that once this is over, I will be absolved 
As this matter works its way through the courts, my focus remains the same, to serve and champion the causes of every working-class person in the city of Milwaukee. So that is the statement put out by Alderwoman Shantia Lewis, facing five criminal charges related to campaign financing, including embezzlement. What are the odds that she wins the Democratic uh, nomination to the U.S. Senate after that? I mean... Even if in the end she is innocent, eh, good luck. Good luck with all uh, that. Okay, so we'll uh, follow that here throughout the afternoon, and we'll have more in the newscast in a few minutes. Okay, here, here's the question I've had ever since. I need your help with this at 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. The question I've had following along about the uh, divided GOP in Madison when it comes to whether to push the UW system, Tommy Thompson, um, on the COVID rules. You have Steve Nass, right, one uh, Republican who is leading the charge, but you have others siding with Thompson. There's a split there. The question I've had with this, so I, I ask all of you, and I ask those of you... One of the core principles of conservatism is smaller government. Leave me alone. Let me do, let me live my life. Get out of my life. And I love that. I, I appreciate that. I think there, there's a, there is a place and a time for government to intervene, to intercede. There are roles for government that make our lives better. More efficient sometimes, but many times not. And yet, as I'm watching Republicans in Madison battle amongst themselves over whether or not they should play a role in the decision-making of Tommy Thompson on the UW system, I keep thinking, doesn't this infringe on one of the core principles of conservatism? That smaller government is better? That less government is better? That more what? Local control, local control is what's best. And would you not say that the local control in this situation would be the UW system president, which is currently Tommy Thompson? So how do you reconcile the two? What's your reaction to that? I would love to hear from you right now as, as you've watched this play out. I And especially if you think that the state legislature needs to have more say in the way Thompson and the UW system installs policy and planning related to COVID. This is all COVID related, right? I can't reconcile the two. I, I, I don't I don't understand it. And I know there's smarter people than I listening to this radio station right now. 855-616-1620. Small government, local control, principles of Republican conservative, true conservatism. But in this case, it sure seems to me as if Republicans in the legislature are saying, well, hang on a second now. Hold on. We know what's best for the UW system. We know what's best. Not the system president who's right there 
We we want it cleared with us first. And I realize that the state legislature obviously plays a role in the UW system. There is a role to be played, and I understand that. But in this case, I, I, I just I, I don't get it. Get out of the way. Let Tommy Thompson, local control, do what he deems best for the UW system, and in so doing... Put into action one of the longest-held beliefs of conservatism. 855-616-1620. Anybody want to react? Acunet Mortgage. Talk and text line. 855-616-1620. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner on a Tuesday afternoon. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Monitoring this line of storms, it's strong, very strong, as many of you know, because you've already experienced it. But it's also moving very quickly, so I guess that is a a little bit of a silver lining. We'll continue, though. If you're on the line, hang on, 855-616-1620, as um, the UW system, in submitting any COVID-19 protocols, that's what some in the legislature want. If you are going to put into place protocols related to the coronavirus, you better run it past us first. And Tommy Thompson says, look, I realize that the legislature has oversight, but at this point, at this granular level, let me do my job. You put me in this position, I've been put in this position, let me do my job, and we all realize that government has a role, and it's it's necessary at times, but get out of the way at some point. Isn't that what conservatism is all about? Smaller government, less involvement, oversight, fine, but getting their fingers in. And, well, we can get to the legal challenge that could be pending as well, because if you support a legal challenge, then I don't know what to do for you. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The first two notes of this bumper music, I thought it was going to be Rock Around the Christmas Tree. <laughs> no? Okay, fair enough. All right, let's go to the phones. I mean, just explain this to Scott, you ignorant so-and-so. Here's why. Here's how you can reconcile the two. Because I, I just, I, I don't I don't get it. I don't. Let's go to the phones. All right, Stephanie has been patiently waiting. Hello, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, good. Okay, explain this to me. How How are you processing this? Go ahead. Honestly, I really don't have an explanation for your question. I have a follow-up question. Okay. So Republicans are very anti-government. Right. 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 Conservatives. Conservatism is correct. Correct. Conservatives. Yep. So they fought Tony Evers on the mask mandates. One in the Wisconsin Supreme Court that it should be county, state, locally owned government. Local control. Get it on the local level. Let the local Local, people, at the granular level, let them make the decisions for the people, right? So what's the difference between... (laughs) Keep going, keep going. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, no, you know where I'm going. What's the difference between... Local government control, so school districts technically are on their own, 
with government funding, but they make their own choices. Mm-hmm. The UW system is on their own, makes right. their own choices. With government funding, with taxpayer money, it is with the state funding, school system, right, money. right, right. But Tommy no Thompson, right. But Tommy Thompson, <laughs> in his role as president of the system, is yep. the local, that's what I he is the local controller. Yep. That's yep. what I don't get. I, 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 I don't and, know how to answer it. <laughs> and, and then there are other states where the government ship is saying, no, you absolutely cannot mandate masks. And we're going to fine you for mandating masks. Yeah. So yeah. Who, on a federal level, it, I think it needs to be decided who is in control of mm. these COVID mandate because this is something we have not experienced for a hundred years. And uh, hopefully we don't have to again for another hundred. I, I I don't know how to answer, but, but the questions you have and and the one that you've boiled it down to is, is a good one. I just, I, I don't understand how, thanks for the call, Stephanie. I appreciate it. I, yeah, I, smaller local control smaller government then why is the legislature which already has everybody knows that they've got a degree of power over the system uw system for all the obvious reasons is this not like an additional power grab at some point why don't you just trust trust tommy i don't know all right bill is in milwaukee hello there bill Hi, how are you? I'm confused. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'm not. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah. um, this isn't confusing. I mean, as far as uh, certain philosophy, as far as getting big government out of the system, uh, out of people's lives, great. At the end of the day, the core responsibility, to me, what I was taught, of any politician anywhere is their allegiance to their constituents. If whether, you know, we are taxpayers, um, we vote in our politicians, they should have an allegiance um, to us. Um, whether it be uh, any issue, if taxpayer dollars are involved, um, we have a right to vote in our politicians uh, who will vote a certain way. Whether or not it's, um, you know, getting big government in or out, we have a say. And because our tax dollars are at play. And allegiance to me should be to the constituents before any ideology of getting big government in or big government out. If the constituents here are saying, hey, we want to... we want to, you know, take a better look at this, or we do want a, a bigger part in this, then that is, uh, that's totally relevant. Okay. All right. Thank you, Bill. I, I appreciate it. I understand what you're saying. Take the constituents over any philosophical uh, principles. Are a lot of people, are there a lot of people saying to Steve Noss and others, yes, go after Tommy, Go after the UW system. Take them to court, even if you have to, over this. That, by the way, is where the split is, especially among Republicans in the legislature going, we are not going to take a legal uh, fight over this. Well, I'll make, I have another comment I want to make, but we'll wait for uh Todd is in Hartford. Hello, Todd. Hey, how's it going? 
I'm uh, kind of in a mental think. pretzel situation here, but go, go ahead. <laughs> let's, let's see. Let's see if we can unwrap you. Sure. So, the the, the legislature legislators are are elected. Thompson is not elected. Thompson cannot make law, although if he's unchallenged, he will make law. So his rules become law, but it is not to be done that way. It is supposed to be overseen by the state legislature. So they are doing exactly what they are supposed to do. And I would totally disagree with your, this is not local control. This is actually local control because Thompson is not elected. And the legislators are, so they stand behind what they do, and they are judged for it. This is perfect local control. Hmm. Okay, I understand what you're you saying. You can't. You, yeah. you. All right. Yeah. Um, so that's why. Are you on? Are you on twisted now? Do, <laughs> thanks. Do you think? Because it's not as if uh, Todd. It's not as if you know the legislature has no oversight or no control, and, you know, Thompson's saying, let me run this as a little fiefdom here. Um, this is a, they have uh, no control unless they have no control unless they exercise their control. So if they just, and you keep bringing up Tommy Thompson, understandably, Thompson is a, you know, uh, you know, a, a beloved governor from, from times gone by. So, mm-hmm. If it wasn't Thompson and you interject somebody else's name into it, would you think differently? And I, I think you would. So it is not about the person, Tommy Thompson. It is about the process. And the process needs to be that there is a chain of command, and that chain of command starts at the legislature, and Thompson is a is subservient to them. And it, it just the process needs to happen the way the process is intended no, I don't, to happen. I mean, um I, I don't, I don't know that I would feel differently. What, what if it was? Here's an intro. Let me ask you a question that somebody brought up on the text line. Okay, Todd. Um, what if hypothetically, What if Steve Nass was running the UW system? Would he? Would he want this of him? Would he want to be checked like Nass is trying to check Thompson on this one? It, it's not you. You keep putting this as a personal thing. It's not about one person being allowed to do something because he's a cool guy or not a cool guy. It's about the process, and we don't want a Tommy Thompson is not a czar. He does not get to create law. Thompson is subservient to the to the legislature. It's just how it has to happen. It's not about what anybody. How far, how far do you you're breaking up a little bit? Last question, Todd, on the way out. How how far do you want them to fight this? Would would you like to see them go the legal route, go the court battle route, if need be? Sure. I mean, it it's not really a battle. It's just it's it's the same thing that happened when the legislature. Well, no, had no, to it, but but, but it, would, it would be a battle. It, you know, but it, it would be a battle, though, Todd, because it would go to court. Is is that then something? Yes. Then yes. Okay, thanks for the call. See, I think that that is the last thing we need. God, I hope that we do not have for a year, I know I got a break, but in a year and in a process that has, in a COVID era that has been bumbled and fumbled by every single entity in Madison, I don't care what your political persuasion, that we would then have yet another court battle as it pertains to COVID. I want to just touch on that real quick when we come back.
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Larger question is, is this really a, is this a battle we need? Is this a battle that we need to see the powers that be fight? Is it? Really? Let me just squeeze in a couple here. Uh, Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, we're kind of tight for time, but go ahead. Have at it. Uh, sure. Um, all right, all right, here's, here's my take on this topic is that, number one, is that Tommy Thompson runs the UW, he runs the UW system. He's the president of the UW system, and he operates the UW system under, under the statutes and mandates and the guidelines that, that, he, that are set up by the, by the state legislature and the, and, the, and the Constitution of the state of Wisconsin. All right? So he, so he can choose to make decisions on how to operate the UW system based, 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 on those, based on those parameters. If he has an interpretation of the statute, whatever, and he feels that he's right and he can, and he can implement a mass mandate, that's his choice. If the legislature feels differently, the legislature, whatever, then can take whatever ramific- appeal ramifications that, that, that they have, and it, it all starts out with – um, with that Joker, with, with that Joker committee, which governs administrative law in the state of Wisconsin, and then it can go, and then it can go through the court system. Whatever, also whatever. To one of your callers, to, I think that the guy two, two, two calls ago, a politician, whatever. Again, you know, this goes back to what, what Steve Stefiti says: leadership is tough. Whatever, and sometimes constituents are not correct, and politicians have to take tough votes. If a if the constituent base whatever doesn't like the actions of their of their elected representatives, then they have their opportunity whatever to remove that elected representative whatever whatever within a few at a future yeah. election uh, date date and time. But but again to summarize again, Tommy Thompson can run the UW system in whatever whatever based on the way he interprets it whatever, and that's that within the rules that govern him, and if there is a disagreement in the interpretation, which is apparently where we have found ourselves now, the decision can be made by some, thanks, Scotty, the decision can be made by some to challenge him in a court of law. And would there be anything more fitting, based on the way we have seen this state run and govern in the last year and a half? They would just be the next logical step in this entire mess. Let's see a different word. Would be to let's have the Republicans in the legislature take the UW system president to court over the mm. Lucy West Side. I've only got about a minute, Lucy. Go ahead, my friend. I'm going to amplify what the prior caller said. He was so right. There is a whole body of legislation that's fairly clear and detailed on setting up the power of the Board of Regents and the powers and the powers of the president of the university system. And I believe it was enacted in part to protect the university system from the kind of political attacks that clowns like Steve Nass regularly make. This isn't over mask mandates. This is over Steve Nass attacking the University of Wisconsin system anytime he can find a reason. But Thompson is on, I think, pretty solid legal ground that this this is not a governor improvising where the statute is vague or doesn't fit. This is a clear right that he has under an existing body of law that's been in place for many, many, many years. And I think he's right, and it's not um, – and I think he's a good university president, and I think Nas is way out of line, and I think some of the other Republicans know that. Thank you, Lucy. I appreciate your perspective. So is my mental pretzel any more, any less 
uh, twisted and tied than it was uh, 25 minutes ago or so. I, if anything, I've realized that many of you are dealing with the, uh, you know, the uh, the pulling and the pushing of of the, of the same thing. It's hmm, nothing has been easy in this process. Nothing. And as a couple of you on the text line do admit and admit accurately, make no mistake. Whether it's Nas, whether it's Thompson, both of them have healthy egos. And you certainly saw some of that when, when Tommy was pretty bold in that video uh, press conference what, a week or two ago. and Bring it on, or whatever he said. Um, both have healthy egos. The last thing, I would just say this, as a common Wisconsinite, just a common man, Kyle, that's all I am. The last thing any of us regular people want out here in Wisconsin is to have leaders of entities like legislative bodies, like the UW system, getting into a you-know-what match while the rest of us stand by and see it all play out. Because, again, it's an example, unfortunately, of just how poorly, just how poorly (laughs) this has been handled. I say all of this. I say pandemic in general. All of it. Every step of the way. We have watched things unfold in Madison and go, really? This is the best you could do? Even if you agree with Steve Noss, you cannot be happy with the fact that this is a topic on WTMJ. This is a story in the journal Sentinel. This is happening. It's yet another entry in my journal, my COVID-19 journal that I am keeping track of about how our leaders of all political persuasions, have let us down during the great pandemic of 2020 and into 2021. Just another entry. I'm sure there'll be another one next week. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Wallace. talking to uh, somebody off the air <laughs> I feel worse now I feel worse now than when we started the show <laughs> Scott I just tuned in what happened in the 12 o'clock hour I tried to understand something and I don't know I don't know I all we did was argue well we didn't argue but there was my head hurts more than before all right so between now and three o'clock gotta try to Change. Hey, this will make you feel good. Happy National Salami Day, Kyle. On September 7th, we recognize a cured meat many people enjoy every day. What is your favorite cured meat? 855-616. National Salami Day. Salami are cured, fermented, and air-dried sausages that find their way to our delis and butcher shops in delicious variety. Hmm. That's all I have. you have anything you want to add about uh, salami? What are you looking at me so quizzically for? Is is this the first year of National Salami Day? Is it it only today for this year, or is it recurring? Uh, Glad you asked. National Salami Day has been a thing since 2006. So... 
Happy 15th, 15th. anniversary. Yeah, the big one five. <laughs> All right, That's salami. Salami day turns 15 today. I was talking to, who was I talking to somebody, and I wished them a national salami day, as I hope you do to your loved ones. And he said, oh, I like good salami, put that on uh, good white bread, and then I put mustard on it. I'm like, wait, what? The problem with mustard and I'm not anti-mustard, but the problem with mustard is it can be so potent that it can dominate the flavors of whatever else is on a sandwich. So, I mean, you're going to put mustard on salami, you're going to disguise the flavor of the salami itself. That would be my, don't, don't, don't ruin a good salami sandwich with mustard on this day. Hmm. Yeah, very good. Would Jeff had mentioned that? Probably not. Probably not. Jeff is out all week. He's in. He's over. Does he, did he say where he is? Is that a secret? No, he's 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 in France. He's in France. He's overseas. This is his first. I mean, like big big trip since COVID, right? This is, this is a listener trip, as I understand it. Right, that's correct. Yeah, folks have gone with him, and uh, you know, we could do. We could cold call him. What are they? Seven hours? Are they? I think they're six hours ahead. Germany is seven hours. So would that make France six hours ahead of us? Well, it's only you know, 7.15 or so. What does that mean? you got to go on one of those, Kyle. you gotta get yourself, you got to get yourself on one of those listener trips with, with, with uh, Wagner before it's all said and done. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier that I'd like to at some point and just spend some time and we'll do more on Thursday Friday but to spend a couple of minutes I think every day this week we need to discuss the 20th anniversary of September 11th because Saturday marks the the anniversary and I thought today as we work our way, ramp ourselves up to the end of the week and to the anniversary. I was thinking, and this ties in well to the end of the Afghanistan war, by the way. Are we safer now? Do you feel safer now than you did, would it be fair to say September 10th, 2001? I think probably more accurately. Do you feel safer now than you did... On September 11th, 2001, and the 12th and 13th, and so on and so forth. In the 20 years, in the two decades that have passed since the attacks, is there a reassurance that you have that the government, the powers that be, are looking out for us in a way that they were not looking out for us 20 years ago, or that they are now operating? seamlessly, well, maybe not seamlessly. Does the government ever operate seamlessly? Probably not. But they're operating now in a fashion that makes us safer than 20 years ago. Is what happened in Afghanistan last week, does that alter how you feel? If I were to ask this question of you 10 days ago or a month ago, would your answer be different than it is today. So let me ask the question. At 855-616-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, do you feel safer 
as an American, when it comes to a terrorist attack, do you feel safer now than if I would have asked this on September 7th of 2001? When you look at two decades of wars, two decades of policy, two decades of cooperation between government agencies that were not cooperating or communicating probably is the better term communicating as they were 20 years ago remember i mean a lot came of the 911 commission and everything we learned but remember at the at the base level we've all watched enough 911 documentaries to realize that the FBI and the CIA and the other agencies charged with keeping us safe were not communicating they were not operating as one the exchange of information was in no way shape or form what it had to be to keep us safe did we know that at the time no did we assume that at the time probably 20 years later do you feel safer when it comes to terrorism do you feel safer now 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Your calls, your texts as we continue. Scott in for Jeff. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The question would be, do you feel safer now than you did on 9-11 or in the days after? Because if, if I was to ask... Everybody, hey, how safe do you think we are from a terrorist attack on September 10th, 2001? I think we would all go, I feel, I feel pretty safe. I feel pretty good. Because we had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. We had no concept of what wasn't happening behind the scenes with, with um, entities, as I said before the break, exchanging the information necessary to keep us safe. So the really, the most, the most pertinent question is, Compared to 9-11 and the days and the weeks and the months and the years after 9-11, do you feel safer now? Do you feel safer? I, I'll, I'll say this. I have more texts than calls. I'd love to talk to you. Not that I don't mind reading a good, insightful text. 855-616-1620. There are a lot of people that feel less safe now than they did in the days and after 9-11. Less safe now. Huh. Gianni's in Montello. He gave us a call. Hello there, Gianni. How you been? Uh, good, good. Uh, it's warming up and we have sunshine here. <laughs> so, hey, listen, Scott, great show. Um, listen, I-, I feel less safe today. Um, and the reason is we just gave back to the Taliban a huge piece of real estate and um, somewhere in the neighborhood of $80 billion in technology. Secondly, we have a president. Well, hang, hang on, um, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hold on. Uh, how do you arrive at, at, at the technology? Explain the technology element. I understand the, the land mass of Afghanistan mm-hmm. being run by the Taliban again, which is a hard one to reconcile, I'm not going to lie. 20 years later, and the Taliban's running Afghanistan. You kind of go, well, what really changed? But what do you mean about the technology? Well, I, I heard on your station, uh, on multiple stations. Uh, I, I don't have uh, I don't have television, cable television, but I listen to a lot of radio. That we left 
uh, helicopters, um, night vision technology, airplanes, uh, not to mention an entire uh, air base, um, I think, which is, I don't know, 30 square miles or something. Uh, I, I don't know how many millions of rounds of ammunition and small arms well but I, I, I guess gianni, I, I don't know I, I would just let me just interject real quick gianni I, I i don't know how much of that is still intact like how, how much of that is still operable because on the way out as botched and as a cluster you know what is that withdrawal ended up being um there was a great deal of demolition of that equipment to make it as inoperable as possible for whatever forces were left behind. So I'm not sure how much is oh, still I useful. Hope so, Scott. Yeah. Oh, I hope oh. so. I hope so. But yeah. until I hear that reported in, 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 in the press or on, on WTMJ or Fox News or MSNBC, I, 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 we don't know that. Do, do, do we? Do we, do we know that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so, I mean there, there is. I mean, I can, we, 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 we're going to digress here. But anyway, um, yeah, so, so other than that, so you, you don't feel like, think back, Gianni, to how you felt in the days and the weeks after those attacks, that out-of-body experience, and you sit here 20 years later, you really don't feel safer as an American. Really? Scott, I have no reason to feel safer. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before um, one of these terrorist groups, and these are these are bad, bad, bad hombres. Um, they are they they would like to get into the United States again and and, and take down another building or or God forbid, uh, you know, a, a nuclear, you know, a suitcase nuke or something. I think that that's what some of these terrorist groups live for, sure. and I think the chances of that occurring. Uh, uh, Scott, uh, not to mention the possibility of, of, of taking down our electrical grid, um, it, it is a very sobering thought in, uh, you know, a 2021. Okay. Thanks, Gianni. I appreciate your perspective as always. Um, I would just, I, Scott, how do you feel? I do feel safer. Do I feel like we are indestructible, impenetrable? Never again. No, of course not. But knowing that Homeland Security, knowing that FBI, CIA, Secret Service, all the other clandestine organizations and governmental entities, knowing that they operate together now more than ever, not to mention technology being better now than it was 20 years ago, the natural evolution of technological advancement. I feel safer. I do. I understand what Gianni's saying, but I feel safer. I do. 20 years later, 855-616-1620. And again, do what you can to put yourself in the mindset immediately after 9-11. Think of your fears, think of your worries, think of your concerns, think of all the premonitions you had about your safety and the safety of this country and its assets and its values. You don't think we're safer now than we were then? It's a good time 20 years later to reflect. That's what we're doing. Calls and texts as we continue on a Tuesday afternoon. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Back to the phones we go. Eustace Bird, it's Greg. He joins us on the Wagner Show. Hey, Greg, do you feel safer now hey, than you Greg. did after 9-11? Yeah, hey, Scott. Um, I, I, I feel safer as far as a quantity measure in, in, in the fact of death in dollars. I don't think we'll ever see anything that destructive again because, for instance, on September 11, 2001, I was in charge of a company that was uh, bringing in roughly 30 million gallons of flammable liquid via rail and truck from both Canada and Mexico. And w- w- being so numb watching that, within an hour we were on the phones trying to get as much product across the borders as possible with everything shut down in the night skies, no planes flying over for how long, you know, it was, it was such a change. And I do believe there are going to be small attacks. Uh, you know, we're not watching our, 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 uh, as far as people coming across the border. So we don't know who's all coming in. So there may be smaller attacks, hopefully. And I pray to God, we never see anything as destructive as we did 20 years ago. Hmm. Thanks for the call, Greg. I appreciate your perspective. 855-616-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. AJ's in Greendale. 20 years have gone by, AJ, which is, by the way, kind of almost hard to believe it's been two decades. Where are you when it comes to your feeling of safety now to where you were in those days, weeks, and maybe even years right after the attack? Uh, I'm slightly better. It, uh, I know, as you said earlier, that all the agencies are now working together. And they have stopped, the, as I recall, a couple of incidences, but not not here in the U.S. that I'm aware of. But And their attacks against the leadership of these terrorist groups, I think, has uh, stymied them to some extent. But I, I my personal thing is, is, there ain't nothing you can do if some uh, radical wants to do something as crazy as that, and uh, you're gonna you take you do your best to protect yourself, but uh, live your life. Don't hide in the hide in the corner because you're afraid a terrorist is going to attack you. No, you're absolutely right, AJ. There is no 100 percent safety that anybody can uh, guarantee us there is no perfect score as it were that can be guaranteed when it comes to government security measures keeping us safe because as many of you have picked up and mentioned i should say on the text line as long as there's evil in the world and as long as those who seek to do us harm within the borders of the united states are in their minds fighting a religious war. That is a motivation that is tough to top. That is a motivation that is so strong that they are willing, individuals as we well know, are willing to die for that belief. They're willing to die and take Americans out in the process for their beliefs. That conviction can't be topped in that respect. That motivation to do harm, to execute evil, that motivation is 
Well, it's unstoppable in a way. And all that America can do is to make it as safe as possible so that you minimize the potential for disaster of any scale, let alone something on the scale of of what happened on September 11th of 2001. And to recognize that, look, if there is evil out there, and there is, and if there are motivations at a deep-seated religious level, and there are, what can we do to make our people, our 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 society as safe as possible and minimize the risk. That's all you can do. And you're right. As, as the caller said, we have learned over the years, over the decades of those instances where attacks have been snuffed out. Moments that could have been horrific did not happen because of fill in the blank. Any number of precautions were taken. And, and we got to get to news here. One of those precautions is what you and I do. Because you and I are a lot more aware of our surroundings. What do they see something, say something, right? A lot of everyday people have played a significant role in keeping each other safe. More so now and over the last 20 years than on September 10th, 2001, when maybe there was something suspicious there, but you didn't even give it a passing, a passing glance. So you didn't even give it a, a second thought. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Before we move on to this next little angle that I would like to talk about, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that many of you on the text line have also brought up the, yes, I feel safer when it comes to a terrorist attack from an outside entity coming in but i feel less safe when it comes to some sort of internal attack homegrown terrorism other entities that are are already here and i think that's a fair point when i asked that question a few minutes ago i was thinking external attacks Obviously, that's what happened on 9-11. So. Um, but I, I recognize that many of you who say we are less safe, or I feel less safe, or I feel as safe or unsafe as I did then, a lot of you have referenced the fact that it's maybe more so because of threats inside our borders than than from without. And that, again, is something that you'd like to think, you'd like to hope that government entities and agencies got our back. And as many of you have mentioned, well, maybe whatever happened on January 6th, would you say they had our back? Were they on top of that? Maybe not. It opens up a whole other Pandora's box, which I'm not going to get into right now. But I was um, speaking with somebody yesterday. I was speaking with somebody yesterday who was in was seven years old. They were in second grade on 9-11-01. And I asked, what do you remember as a seven-year-old, a second grader. Seven-year-old, a second grader, is that right? I think that's right. And he said, I, I remember my teachers crying. And we will do the I remember and, and where were you when questions later in the week. Those are always intriguing and fascinating to me for, for many reasons. But 
it dawned on me then, I don't know why just then, but a co this was a colleague of mine, that there are college students, for example, right now, there are freshmen in college, they're 18 years old, they were two years old on 9-11-01, right? There are obviously young people who are alive that were not alive then. So my question here is this. What responsibility do you take, do you think you have, to try as best you can? And it's not easy. Because that that feeling, that one of the callers said, that numbness, that numbness of that day, that's hard to, other than describing it as that, that that's difficult to teach. I mean, it's hard to put into words. It's hard to set an example to somebody who didn't live through it as to what we all felt. But what responsibility do you feel you owe young people and generations moving forward who will not have been alive then and were not or were far too young to know really what was going on and you can answer this question whether you are a parent whether you are a grandparent whether you are an aunt or an uncle whether you are a teacher no matter what your situation is in life there could be a moment where you'll have an opportunity to speak with somebody who was not alive then or too young to remember about that day. What do you tell them? How do you convey the gravity of that day? 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620 or... Do you maybe not think that it's necessary to convey that day? I often wonder, related to this, the stories of Pearl Harbor. I mean, the question could be asked then. How did Americans share December 7th, 1941 as the years and the decades rolled by? obviously being involved in World War II and all the ramifications of World War II, perhaps, I'm only speculating here, made December 7th, 1941 more tangible in a way? I don't know. Maybe I'm off base. But the responsibility, I think, is important because that day is vitally important in the painting of the American picture and our history. So how do you do it? Look, I, I I don't have kids. I don't have children. So I'm not a dad. So to this point in my life, I haven't had to um, to tell somebody about 9-11-01. I haven't. But you have. You've talked to your sons, your daughters, your grandkids. Maybe you're a teacher. Or you were a teacher. You're retired now. And you had to explain this. I'm curious how you do it, how you've done it. 855-616-1620, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. One of the advantages now, compared to Pearl Harbor, I imagine, is that 
you can use the internet for good instead of evil. You can use the internet for good, and you can call up videos if you want to show them. There are many more tangible opportunities to teach young people about what happened that day. And rather than just the oratory passed down from generation to generation of, you know, like December 7th, 1941. 855-616-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You got to tell me how to do it. Because I have not had the opportunity to, but you've... You have. I know many of you have. 855-616-1620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Texter says two sit from two six two. Scott, I have a uh, thirteen year old and a ten year old. Okay, so both of them obviously were nowhere near being born twenty years ago. I will convey to them that nine eleven was a day of heroes, of helpers, and a day where a horrible tragedy brought our country together as a united front. Yeah, that that is the decision you have as an adult in teaching and speaking to young people about that day. What what approach do you take? Do you take the approach of terrorism, teaching them about that threat, like we were talking about earlier in the hour, and how America was caught flat-footed in so many ways? Maybe they're a little older to understand all that. Or do you take the approach of a horrific day, and despite the loss of life, it could have been even worse if it were not for the heroic actions of fill-in-the-blank. So many. There's different angles and different avenues to take. It's up to you, certainly. Nathan is in West Bend today. Nathan, how are you approaching? How will you approach this with young people? Hi. Um, I watch a video montage with my children. Um, and I've, I've watched the same montage every year. Uh, it's, it's of every, the different events and also the days after. Um, I tell them about what I was doing, how I can remember everything I was doing that day and for the next 24 hours, 48 hours um, after that, and it, how it's just you know, ingrained in my mind. But nine, you know, what you were bringing up, 9-12, that is probably one of the best days in American history. We were more united that day than ever, um, but all because of 9-11. And how, as you talk to your I, I, are these your kids, your children, I assume? Yes. yes. How, I have a, how do they take it? Girl. Um, I don't think from, from an emotional standpoint, I don't think they can ever really grasp it. I don't think anybody who wasn't there ever truly can grasp how it hit us emotionally. Um, but they, they are kind of amazed, especially seeing the, the divisiveness we have now at how you you know united we were before uh they're shocked at the ability for planes to just you know hit a tower yeah. and why didn't people yeah. do things uh, you know and, and also just hearing about how life was pre-9-11 you know going going to the airport and being able to see somebody off at the gate 
instead of before security. You know, those are foreign things to them. No doubt. Thank you for your perspective, Nathan. Yeah, that that's another thing to consider, that you have people who are 20 years old and younger, basically, don't know what it was like to be able to go to the airport. Oh, Grandma and Grandpa are going on a trip. You could walk. Did you know this, folks? You young kids, you you could walk all the way down to the ramp, all the way down to where you sit in the concourse outside the gate. You could sit with them. You could be at the window and watch the plane taxi away. Yeah. The TSA. There's three letters, that 20-year-old, that's all they know, TSA. We know all about the TSA. What was it like before that was a thing? You know, um, was it Nathan? Was that him? I have such I have such horrible memory when it comes to recalling names of callers moments after they've, they've uh, I've spoken with them. But anyhow, but I digress. Nathan said that he uses the footage to help convey what happened that day. And I agree with him. You, you you can't teach somebody to feel something emotionally. You you can't demonstrate something that will lead them to feel an emotion that you really could only feel if you lived through it. So he's absolutely right about that. But one of the things I have found useful in trying to tap into those same emotions that I felt that day, because as every as every year goes by. You become a little more numb, not intentional, but you just do. But watch the specials. Watch the different documentaries that are out there. And there's some really good ones now. Uh, Kyle was mentioning one on National Geographic recently with newfound footage. They're always, you know, finding new footage, new audio, new interviews, new perspectives. Do what you can for yourself this week. And just allow yourself to tap into some of those emotions. And there's a good chance if, if a young person is with you, you know, a son or daughter living with you in your house, and invite them to watch these documentaries and use those medias, uh, mediums to, to help teach them as well. And maybe by them seeing you watch and, and you share your memories and your remembrances of that day, they will have... Uh, a better appreciation for everything that we went through as a nation on that day. I appreciate the conversation there, and and many of you sharing your thoughts and the call or in the in calls and texts and whatnot. Uh, I'm going to set a little time aside every afternoon this week, every day of the week. I'm in for Jeff all week long, and we're going to take a different angle and a different approach because as we come to two decades removed, it's it deserves our attention again. It deserves our attention every year, obviously, but um, a little bit more in an expanded form because it's a 20th anniversary. In addition to what we're doing, uh, Eric Bilstad reached out to the voices of WTMJ from September 11th, 2001, and offer their remembrances and their reflections of what they went through as they brought you the story of September 11th, 2001. Every day this week, a different voice from WTMJ past, or in some cases present, reflecting.
And that's how we close out this hour. It's a huge Anybody who's ever shroud of dust and smoke just enveloping lower Manhattan. And I'm, try, I'm trying not to overstate it, but this country has never sustained an attack as grave as this one. It almost brings to mind Pearl, except that I remember that morning so well. This is Charlie Sykes, and I was preparing to do my show that day, and I remember not having anything particularly compelling to talk about. I think that Michael Jordan was preparing to retire again. And then we got the first report of the plane hitting the tower. 737 has crashed into the World Trade Center. And at first, I'll be honest, I didn't fully understand the magnitude of what had just happened, and I continued to do show prep. And then, of course, the second plane hit. Oh, my God! Another plane just... A huge fireball has just exploded. This is John Belmont at WTMJ. That's impossible to overstate how horrific it is. The president would be justified, and I think Congress would virtually unanimously go along saying that a state of war exists. Because if this is not an act of war, what is? We do know that... And I remember standing and trying to make sense of it. You know, you know, sometimes things happen and you don't realize until afterwards... Uh, how significant they were or, or what it would do to history. That wasn't the case on September 11th. That moment, we understood that America was under attack. We understood that this was a dividing point, that nothing would ever be the same again. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Two o'clock hour on a Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Have you made the mistake already? Have you, have you called it Monday? Back to work Monday. I would much rather, I've always said this, I would much rather have a Monday off than a Friday. Give me the long weekend on the back end than on the front end. I've always thought that. When I was in school, every once in a while, I don't know the reason, when in doubt, faculty in-service dates. That's what it was called. (laughs) I don't know. All I know is we didn't have school. I was always more excited when it was a Monday or a Monday-Tuesday than a Friday or a Thursday Friday. Because it's like you have, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you would have a Friday and a Monday off. I mean, that's a win-win. Now you got two short weeks. But I've always appreciated a, a good Monday holiday because then going into the weekend, you're feeling good. You come out of the long weekend and it's already Tuesday. That was my long roundabout way of saying it's only Tuesday. It will be for a few hours yet today. All right. I don't know if anybody's going to get this. This may be too, I don't know, in the weeds. Biggest non-controversy controversy of the weekend. Biggest non-story of the weekend. It happened on Saturday night. It gained some momentum yesterday. I'm sorry. See, I just did it right there. Sunday morning. And it's pretty much been snuffed out by now. I realize in this day and age, it is tough to keep track of all the non-controversy controversies. They find themselves a controversy for some reason because people get upset about everything now and they're offended and things like that. Did you watch 
the Notre Dame Florida State game on Sunday night. Sunday night? I'm all confused. Yeah, there was a Sunday night game. Thank you. Well, I watched it for one because Jack Cohn, the former Badgers quarterback, is now the quarterback of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And after what happened on Saturday at Camp Randall, you kind of went, I wonder what it would have been like with the old guy at quarterback now. But anyway, after the game, Brian Kelly, who's the head coach of Notre Dame, is interviewed on the field. Notre Dame won in overtime. It was a sloppy game. They had a big lead. They blew the big lead. It went to overtime. They won on a field goal in overtime. So the Notre Dame Fighting Irish won the football game. But in the post game, on the field interview that everybody does, every coach has to do, right? Brian Kelly tries to channel one of the oldest jokes you would say, that were ever made by a football coach. You have to understand the backstory to understand what he said and then to roll your eyes at the subsequent controversy. Follow me here, folks. John McKay, John McKay, former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. John McKay was the head coach of the Buccaneers when they started in 1976, and they were horrible. They were dreadful. They were abysmal. They were brutal to watch. And as the legend goes, during a post-game press conference, after a brutal showing by John McKay's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a reporter asked John McKay, what did you think of your team's execution today? And John McKay is said to have responded, I'm in favor of it. Ha! Get it! See, what did you think of your team's act? I'm in favor of it. <laughs> anyway, it's become one of those little funny nuggets, those little gems that a coach, a football coach, in, has, has given to reporters after a game because he's cantankerous, he's not happy, he's mad. It's pretty clever. I don't know if he thought of that on a whim, but I thought that that's pretty good. So, that, again, is what John McKay said in 1976. I'm getting to it. That takes us to Sunday night when the coach of Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, says this after his team's win, albeit ugly. I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. I mean, it, we just didn't execute very well. Okay. <laughs> What's the first thing that strikes you? Didn't really get the line right. Did not, didn't really channel his inner, he tried to channel his inner John McKay, but he botched the landing. I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe, maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. I mean, it, we just didn't execute. Okay, that's not what you, <laughs> well, what happens Sunday night, I'm sorry, yeah, Sunday night into Monday morning, what happens? Of course, the outrage comes. People, outraged that Brian Kelly could say something like that. Did he really? I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. I mean, it, we just didn't execute very well. Okay. Brian Kelly. I don't know if he issued an apology. I don't know if that actually happened or not. I've been looking around. He was even asked about it later on. 
and said, come on, guys, really? I need to apologize for this. But that right there turned into the long holiday weekend, a lot of opportunities. That was the biggest non-controversy controversy of the weekend because people are, did you hear what he said? Now, most of the people who heard him say that have no idea about the original quote and why he said that. So they're going, wait a minute, what? Why did the coach of Notre Dame just say that he thinks his team should be should be executed? To which I would say, why are you getting upset for about that? There's clearly a backstory there. If you want to criticize Brian Kelly for something, criticize Brian Kelly for not you know, sticking the landing on the joke, for completely botching the quote, for completely, absolutely screwing it up. You want to criticize him for that? That's fine. But I guess if there's anybody else out there who is offended by what Brian Kelly said, he is the leader of young men. How could he say something like that? Well, I just explained the backstory. I explained what he was trying to say, what he was trying to do. And I guess for anybody still calling for the head, I was going to say execution, of Brian Kelly, I, I, I feel safe in saying that the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team was not, was not literally calling for his team to be executed. I feel safe in saying that when he said this... I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. I mean, it, we just didn't execute very well. <laughs> and when he said that, he does not indeed want his team to be executed. Okay? Criticize him for failing to land the joke. But other than that, it's a non-controversy. That was the biggest non-controversy controversy of the holiday weekend and hopefully now it has been debunked you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj (laughs) somebody called me an irish lover people have been fired for less irish lover no you, you know one of the weird things i've mentioned this before for whatever reason i root against notre dame i do i I have no ties to that university. I have no real reason to root against them or for them, for that matter. I mean, I really should be ambivalent towards the University of Notre Dame. But I root against Notre Dame when I see them compete in any way, in any sport. Isn't that weird? I think part of it is that they have their own network. And as growing up as a kid, I always saw them on NBC. And I don't know. I don't know if something happened in my youth or something to turn me against Notre Dame. I just I think in some ways maybe they're like the Yankees where people just default to rooting against them because you think, ah, they've got everything. They think they think they're better than us. They keep winning and things like that. I've also always rooted against Tiger Woods. Scott, why? Why do you why do you do that? I don't know. Always. I don't know. Maybe maybe deep down inside I'm jealous of him or something like that. It's some sort of uh, um, psychological motivation that uh, has, uh, has to be unearthed. Yeah, it's like Notre Dame, the Yankees, Tiger Woods. It's weird how our sports inclinations lead us 
<laughs> down a path or another. And yet here I am, a, a grown adult. And I cannot explain why I root against Tiger Woods. I cannot explain why I root against Notre Dame. The Yankees, eh, maybe. I mean, I, I, I root against everything Chicago sports related for obvious reasons because they're a threat to the teams for which I root. By the way, best if if that was the uh, if the Brian Kelly thing is like the the biggest non controversy controversy of the weekend. Best moment of the weekend. Best moment of the weekend is what happened on Sunday afternoon at American Family Field. Oh, how about it? How about it? I wonder if. That is going to end up being one of those games that everybody was at. Everybody was at the the Vogie Ultimate Grand Slam game. Did you know that's an Ultimate Grand Slam? I talked about this yesterday when I was in for Steve Scafidi. Now, you're a baseball guy. Had you heard of the term Ultimate Grand Slam before? No. No, I mean, I've obviously heard of a walk-off Grand sure. Slam. I've, I've never heard of it being called an Ultimate. Is that what you said, Ultimate? Yeah, yeah I've never heard that before. Okay. Do you want to just take a guess as to what an ultimate Grand Slam is? A walk-off Grand Slam? Game, game ending? No. An ultimate Grand Slam is in part a walk-off, yes. But it's when the batter is the winning run. I had no idea. So the team is down three, and the batter, the fourth run, is the winning run, which was the situation the Brewers found themselves in on Sunday. I, I, I could not believe it. I could. I thought I, I. I know sports terms. I follow baseball. Had never heard of the term "ultimate grand slam" until yesterday, when everybody was talking about what Daniel Vogelback did on Sunday. But that was one. I was listening to uh, some of Brewers' extra innings with Matt Pauley on Sunday after the game. People were calling in, telling him where they were seated. I think that was incredible. I was in section one eleven. I'll never forget it. But you know what the sad thing is. There was a there was a time the kids don't know this. There was a time when what would you do? What would you do after a game like that? After a game like Sunday at AmFam Field, you would keep the ticket stub. You can't keep the ticket stub anymore, right? Unless you could take a screenshot of the ticket on your phone and then you can get physical tickets at the box office. But what if I was already there? Could you go after the fact, and say, that was a heck of a game. Can I have a printed ticket? Probably not. You just print off the email that was sent to yeah, you? Yeah, that doesn't quite have the same nostalgic feel of like an actual ticket stub after the fact. That's another thing that we've lost in the age of technology. The inability to have a ticket stub to the Daniel Vogelback Grand Slam game. But that game will be one of those where you could have... 50,000 people say they were there years and years and years from now. (laughs) You say, hey, the stadium doesn't even hold 50,000 people. I was talking yesterday with somebody, too, who, in light of what happened at the ballpark, and that was a historic day. That was very historic. That That was a special moment. And they said, do you think the Brewers are a team of destiny? I'm not. Most of you guys and gals know me well enough that I'm not a real destiny type of thought. It's all meant to be and things like that. But you know what? Stuff like that happens on Sunday or the Brewers come back from 7 nothing down to beat the Cubs. Remember, oh, by the way, remember that earlier this summer? 
Stuff like that happens, and you go, hmm. You've got a journeyman first baseman off the injured list hitting ultimate grand slams. You've got guys just called up from AAA hitting home runs, and I don't know. I don't know. Am I buying into the whole team of destiny thing? Eh, it's going to take more than that to, for me to, 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 to drink that Kool-Aid, as it were. But nonetheless, that was a pretty special weekend. Best moment of the weekend. If, if, if we had a best moment of the weekend, that would have been it. By the way, do you know the Brewers' magic number? You know, here at WTMJ, we have ha- there have been years. Like, I remember 2011. We had a countdown. I'm pointing which nobody, none of you can see. We had a countdown system on the glass between this air studio and, and where Kyle and the producers sit. And every every game, when the magic number would go down, we, we would have this ceremonial taking down of a number. And now, maybe it's because the Brewers in the playoffs has become a bit of a, a tradition, shall we say. Some of that nuance, some of it, is no longer what it was. Do you know what their magic number is? Uh, I believe it's thirteen. It's either thirteen or fifteen. Oh, you're like that. right. Thirteen. Mm-hmm. Thirteen. Yeah, we, we, I remember us doing the the magic number thing in 2018 yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that was when uh, yeah, it was when Yelich won the MVP and everything. Mm-hmm. So but, you're saying maybe it's on me to start taping some numbers up to our wall here? I was wondering the same. Like, what is the magic number? I was wondering that this morning. Um, and I think the only reason why we're not worrying about it so much now is because we're not in the thick of a race which is crazy isn't it yeah yeah i mean for us to be you know whatever what are 10 games 11 something like that yeah i mean there's no like are we gonna make the playoffs this Um, year are we you know uh, so you're saying the we thing you know i don't like that (laughs) you know i'm not a we us but that's a separate topic for another day well maybe it's on us maybe it's on me all right maybe maybe when it gets to 10 I'll start taping things on the wall. 13, any combination of Brewers wins, and at the moment, Reds losses. That add up to 13, and the Brewers are division champions. Magic number, folks. Know the calculation. Know your numbers.